Welcome to a little Nan Zen. I'm Kijo, a Zen priest and transmitted Zen teacher from the Smiling Buddha Zen Center in the US, here with your daily dose of Zen and no bullshit spirituality. Please sit or lie comfortably. So what is no bullshit spirituality? And what is spirituality? I defined that a little bit in uh, my description here, and it's pretty much, as I use it, the sense of something larger than our individual self that is, uh, I can only say, benign. Um, <coughs> It's not losing ourselves in the sense of being part of a cult or losing our sense of uh, discrimination in terms of right and wrong. In fact, ethics is a vital part of spirituality. And it's no bullshit because it's something that's very ordinary. It's actually part of our normal human experience. It's not something that we have to um, pay a lot of money for, contrary to uh, what some might want you to do. It's not something that's exotic, and we have to go to Japan or Tibet or you know, the uh, Sioux Nation to find. And it's not that there is anything wrong with going to those places and training with teachers and doing all of those things, as long as we keep things simple. And that's, that's another reason why I stress no bullshit, because it's so ordinary that it's extraordinary. We're kind of not used to it. We're bombarded all the time with uh, adverts, basically, for um, <coughs> supposed spirituality. And it makes it seem exotic. It makes it seem um, something that we have to try really, really hard to do. Um <coughs> and it's, it's kind of special. And it's sold to us as making us special. And that's attractive. You know, who doesn't want to be special? Who doesn't want to be uh, validated and acknowledged and, um, <coughs> you know, acknowledged that we matter? And a lot of the, the bullshit spirituality kind of plays on that. It, um <coughs> it's coming from a place where we feel a sense of something lacking, and that somehow we can get that, we can achieve that, um, usually at a fair financial cost and a cost in time, and it's going to make us special. You know, we're going to be enlightened, we're going to have um, <coughs> spiritual groupies at our feet. I mean, Obviously, not everybody thinks this way, but certainly it's a fact. I know when 
um, training in, in Zen, the tradition that I'm from, you know, I had those fantasies too about being a Zen teacher and you know, being so charismatic and and extraordinary that you know I would have thousands of students and be famous and I'd be on the level of um, Thich Nhat Hanh or the Dalai Lama or something like that. And of course, this is this is uh, what's often called spiritual materialism, a term coined by a Tibetan teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, where we try and cover up what is actually quite simple and ordinary. Um, and we try and actively ignore that. Um, and we do this because it's perceived as threatening. Because truly, uh, no bullshit spirituality, genuine spirituality, which is the thing. Um, <coughs> is very, very ordinary. It's as immediate as our breath. It's as very simple as drinking a cup of coffee. How we speak to somebody on the, 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 the you know, the till at the store, the clerk at the store how we treat the waiter, um, how we treat customers if we are the waiter. It's, it's a whole life experience. And often when we're getting into uh, spirituality, or what we think is spirituality, our ordinary life experience ain't all that. It's kind of um, often either a mess or it's actively painful. And... Um, this kind of uh, um, unease that we have is something we want to get away from. In the Buddhist tradition, it's uh, generally referred to by the word dukkha. And I did mention the description about not having jargon except where necessary. And there are some words that work better in their original language, as it were. Um, and there are some words that, and terms that don't. You know, you can imagine, for example, moulet frit sounds lovely, exotic French. It's mussels and fries. That's what it is. Um, <coughs> but there are some terms where uh, the English language doesn't convey things fully and completely. And often the word dukkha is translated as suffering, which is kind of very heavy. Um, connotation, and we immediately think of, uh, or tend to think of things that are um, kind of overt, heavy suffering. Uh, we think of death, we think of um, extremely painful situations, things like that. And dukkha actually is a lot more subtle than that. It, uh, it also includes certain kinds of pleasure. Uh, which comes as a surprise to many people. Um, <coughs> one original image associated with it was a wheel out of kilter. Um, I think as the Zen teacher Steve Hagen describes it. 
So you're riding along in a cart, the wheel's a little bit off, it's out of kilter, and you have this kind of um, bump every now and again. And as he describes it, you know, that could be kind of quite entertaining in the beginning. It could be kind of interesting, it's a little bit different. But after a while, it becomes incredibly irritating and annoying and uncomfortable. So, <coughs> dukkha doesn't just mean, you know, the heavy suffering. It also conveys this sense of something's not quite right, something's off. We're not getting something, we're not connecting with something. Um, there's a sense of unease. We can never get quite comfortable. Um, and then what tends to happen is that the natural uh, response is to try and get away from that. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be uh, not at ease. So we start looking for something that will be the opposite of that. And as soon as we do that, um, in a sense it's vital, it's necessary, you know, we all have to start from where we are. And there is something off. This is, this is the thing, this is the subtle um, kind of trap that there is. Because there is something off. We are missing something a lot of the time, and we know it on some level. Um, <coughs> but what tends to happen is when we go after the opposite of um, how we're feeling, or what we think is the opposite, what we're actually doing is tending to repress our actual experience. We're, we're not paying attention to our experience. We want to get away from it. We don't like it. Um, <coughs> and that can work for a while. You know, you have lots of uh, so-called spiritual practices that uh, are all about just being positive. You know, don't have any negative thoughts. Get rid of the negativity. You've probably seen these things on Facebook where, oh, you know, I'm going to get rid of all negative people from my life. Um, but bear in mind, too, that I've read recently that most people have actually experienced some form of trauma. Um, they've experienced some real heavy shit in their lives. All of us, basically, have. And so, <coughs> you know, this, this idea that there's negative people and positive people is an oversimplification. And in trying to push away everything that is negative or that we think is negative and bad and sort of stop negative thoughts and stop negative emotions, what we actually end up doing is cutting off a part of ourselves. Because all our emotions are natural. They're, they're healthy in the sense that they serve a purpose, they belong, they're part of who we are as, as full human beings. So we have joy, we have empathy, we have um, tranquility, calmness, equanimity, but we also have fear, we also have anger. Um, we have all of these states that, that uh, in kind of pop psychology and uh, spirituality, light as I'll call it, are labeled as negative and they're to be done away with. And what tends to happen is that when, if we, if we get into that mindset and we start cutting off bits of ourselves, it's very artificial. What we're doing is we're creating or trying to create this kind of 
persona. Um, and it's fake. It, it's like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to try to be authentic. It's, it's that kind of uh, dichotomy. And <coughs> this is also one of the paradoxes of spiritual practice, that um, we understandably we begin from a place where we feel the sense of discomfort, we feel the sense of unease, we want uh, to improve things. And then we can go, as I said, to this, this uh, looking for the opposite and trying to be the opposite, trying to be someone else, in a sense, someone who doesn't have these negative thoughts or emotions. And so when we create this false persona, that can work for a while. You know, there's a kind of false positivity um, and it suppresses everything. It's kind of heavy. It's, it's really heavy. <laughs> Um, it's not light at all because it's fake. <coughs> and to me, no bullshit spirituality, genuine spirituality, doesn't engage in that. It's not about cutting off parts of ourselves. And that's one reason why the practices tend to be very, very simple. And they emphasize things like being... Um, physically present, being aware of our bodies, um, how we're feeling physically, how we're feeling emotionally, without trying to suppress th such things, without trying to uh, cut off certain states of mind. So that's an immediate difference. And in practical terms, how do we do that? Which I think is another thing too. You, know, you don't have to sign up for a whole course where like on these websites where if you click now and buy the book, you know, you'll you'll be guaranteed to find out the secret at the end after you've paid however many pounds or dollars or whatever it is. No, you don't have to do that. It's very, very simple. Um, <coughs> and I'm amazed that some can, can manufacture all of this stuff all around it and then try and sell that. So it's it's so simple that it's we miss it. It's so ordinary that we don't see it. We t we kind of overlook it. You know, it's it's ubiqu ubiquitous to use that term because it's ever present. It's actually our um, in in terms of Zen practice, we call it our true nature uh, or Buddha nature. And as soon as we say Buddha nature, that sounds exotic again. You know, that's that's special. Um, but really, it's very, very ordinary. It's, it's, it's the essence of being a feeling, thinking, emotional being, um, interacting with the world and with other beings. And it's how we do that in a way that doesn't perpetuate this kind of alienation that I was talking about, this discomfort. And it's simple because all we have to do actually is see how we create all of this stuff on top of our direct experience. Because if we stay with our direct experience, the stuff comes and goes and we find that it has less of a hold over us. It's not this... Um, 
ever-present kind of thing in the back of our minds, this kind of discomfort, this not liking ourselves, which is another aspect of it. We're not comfortable with ourselves. We're not comfortable in our own skin. And no wonder, because we're always trying to be somebody else and present ourselves as somebody else. So spiritual practice initially, at least, focuses on getting our attention to what's actually happening. You know, what's the real deal? What's actually happening right now? And not what we think is happening, not what we want to be happening, what is actually happening? So it will focus, in practical terms, on things like breathing, which is an excellent uh, sort of anchor. And it also links uh, our emotional state, our physical state, and our mental state. For example, if we're very agitated, our breathing is going to be um, agitated too. It's not going to be even and um, you know, serene. Uh, if we're relaxed and calm, our breathing tends to be relaxed and calm. And so our body-mind emotions influence each other. And we think this is obvious, but we never actually, or don't often pay much attention to it. So I want you to start paying attention just to, to very, very simple things like what is happening right now, not what we think is happening. And you can use that, use that phrase, what is actually happening? Not what I think is happening, not what I want to be happening, what is actually happening? And be careful of interpreting what's happening. Because as soon as we add explanations and interpretations, we're at least one step removed from direct experience. Direct experience isn't second-hand. It's not an explanation. It's not a philosophy. It's not a theory. Um, it's not intellectualizing. Um, <coughs> it is just that direct experience. So for now, I want you to, again, be aware of your body and just as gently as you can bring your attention to your breathing and you don't have to breathe in any particular way you don't have to uh, make it long or deep or you know breathe in for a certain amount of time and none of that that's that's all it's not necessary for this so just bring your attention to your breathing and just, just feel it. Just feel as it enters your nose. Feel the, the, the quality of the warmth of it or the coldness of it. I mean, maybe you're in a cold room or outside. And you feel that cold air. And just be aware of how the mind kind of tries to explain everything and interpret everything and remove us, as it were, from that direct experience. It's not comfortable with it. So... This will feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. It's not an instant fix. Nothing is. Anyone who promises you an instant fix or a technique that will guarantee to make you feel better within, you know, however many minutes or hours or months or whatever it is, they're conning you. That's bullshit. Um, <coughs> because this is something that's not uh, something we're used to. And it's something we've kind of lost, but it's always been there. It is as close as your breathing. So we're going to learn how to uh, 
be more connected with that and be more embodied in the present. And I, and I kind of hate to use terms like that because they sound uh, dodgy to me. They sound a bit shady, but it's it's probably the most accurate way I can say it. And that's to be, because we're, we're always present. You're not anywhere else, you know? You're here right now. Even if you're not paying much attention, you're fading in and out, you're not really able to concentrate very much, you're still here. And that experience too, that kind of wandering of the mind, that's part of your present experience as well. And I'm reminded of a story about a Zen teacher called Bernie Glassman. I think he was doing a book signing somewhere, Paris or somewhere. And uh, there was a question and answer period, and uh, somebody you know, raised their hand and they said to him, um, <coughs> you know, how can we, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but yeah, how can we learn to be present? And uh, Bernie Roshi uh, just said, if there's anyone who's not here now, please raise your hand. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's a little bit absurd. And some of these Zen stories sound a little bit absurd at first. They sound a bit odd. But when you look at them, they're actually extremely ordinary. And they're directing us to look at what's in front of us. And when we do, the paradox is that we begin to give up this constant fight, this constant struggle, this sense of... Um, lacking something, that we're somehow broken, that we have to fix ourselves and, you know, we have to be um, presenting ourselves in a certain way. You know, we begin to give all of that up and we let go of some of the sense of having to control everything. And the thing is, when we do that, even with simple as something as simple as, as attending to our breathing, and just being aware of our breathing on a regular basis, paying attention to it, we find that, that we tend to have a bit more space. Things are a little calmer, a little clearer. And some of the, what we see uh, directly when we engage with this practice and begin to do it regularly and, and give, it a, you know, give our lives attention is incredible. It's amazing. It's, it's magical in the true sense. And that's where I'm going to start my next episode. And I know this is a bit rough and ready, and it's a bit raw, but I don't use a script. You know, this is just as it comes. And uh, I want to be honest with you guys. And I don't want to bullshit you. I'm not selling anything. I mean, yeah, it's great if this podcast makes some money. Hey, you know, I got nothing against money. I like paying the rent. But at the same time, you can't sell this. You can't sell spirituality. You can't sell what it means to be a feeling being, connecting with other beings. So please do attend to your breathing. Be aware of your breathing. Be aware of your posture. Give yourself a bit of a break. And come back and listen to the next episode. <laughs>